0: Hey good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning online and in person at 10:30 a.m. Now somebody asked me recently, is this a live stream or is it pre-recorded? Well, the answer is that it's pre-recorded. I figure on any given week it's about 80 to 90 percent the same sermon that I preach online or in person. Uh, the reason that we pre-record goes all the way back to the summer of 2020 when we started to reopen in, for in-person meetings out in our field and we said, hey, you know, you can't can't really live stream an outdoor service well. And so we started pre-recording to maintain a certain level of quality and we've kept doing that. And it's allowed us to have the audio version available right at the same time. Uh, If you are not aware, you can check out Spotify or Apple podcasts, search faith on Hill, and you can subscribe to our podcast feed Uh, the same as the video, just the audio, but the video courses streamed on faithonhill.com and on our Facebook page. And then the audio is available on those two platforms uh, as well. You just have to search Faith on Hill and you can get the Starting Points podcast, the 20-Minute Bible Study, the Talk About Anything podcast in addition to our Sunday morning live stream. Small groups are starting back up, and so you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. We are taking a pause from our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and this morning we are going to talk about memorial stones And their importance, both in our personal faith and in our community life. If you have a Bible, you can check out Joshua chapter 4. That's going to be our starting point this morning. Everybody, or at least many people, know the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. God was leading his people out of captivity into Egypt, and Moses was commanded to stretch out his hand, and God parted the Red Sea and the Children of Israel were allowed to walk across on dry land. People say, oh, that's, a, that's crazy, the idea that the sea would part. I actually say the crazier thing, and if you've ever seen, uh, you know, what happens when, when a tide goes way out, the idea that they walked across on dry land is, to me, the even bigger miracle. But to be that as it may, 40 years later, finally their journey is over, and they've come to the promised land. Why did it take them 40 years? You can email me adam at faithonhill.com. I'm happy to talk about it. But 40 years later, they get to the promised land and they are going to cross the Jordan River. But instead of jo- uh, Moses, it's a new leader, Joshua. And instead of being told to stretch out his hand and extend his walking staff, and that would be the signal for the seas to part, now it's a river. And instead of Joshua, it's the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they are to walk out into the river. And as they stood out there holding the ark, the flow of the river stopped and the people were able to walk across again on dry ground. And it says in chapter four, verse one, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each of the 12 tribes and tell them to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said, go over before the ark of the Lord, your God in the middle of the Jordan. And each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them, that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded, and they took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they had put them down. And Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they are to this day. This is God's word. 21 years ago today, a peaceful early fall morning in New York City And all of a sudden, an explosion was heard. And all throughout lower Manhattan, chaos began to take hold. As rescuers and first responders raced towards the danger. And as they did, as they got there, a second plane flew into the other tower. And they knew this was no accident. Yet they continued to race towards the danger and as they were going towards their death another plane crashed into the pentagon outside of washington dc the center of our nation's military and many brave men and women servicemen and women and civilians alike ran towards the danger to rescue others And nobody knew this until much later, but there was a fourth flight, Flight 93. And men and women on that flight, as it was taken hostage, got on cell phones and made contact. And because they were delayed, they found out what had happened in New York and in Washington, D.C. And knowing what their fate would be, they were the first Americans to fight back. And they, in bravery, charged the cockpit and crashed the plane into that field in Pennsylvania, saving untold lives, as many think that that plane was destined to either hit the White House or the Capitol building. 9-11, a day we said we would never forget. And we've set up memorials and monuments. You can go, of course, in New York City to the two pools that stand where the towers were. Uh, You know, our previous, uh, when we lived in California at our previous church, uh, when I was there, a monument was set up in the middle of, of downtown where we lived. And the monument was made of beams, steel beams that had been taken from the wreckage of the towers and had the name of every person who died on 9-11. These are memorials that are set up 21 years ago today. But I'll tell you, a conversation that happens is among pastors is every year we remember 9-11, we acknowledge 9-11, but it's been years since a high school senior since somebody entered their senior year of high school remembered 9/11. Walk onto a college campus today. Find a student who remembers 9/11. Increasingly, as time goes by, 9/11 fades from being a collective experience that all of us, all of us went through. When we say 9 11, all of us have similar stories. They might be different. We were in different places. But all of us experienced it. Now it becomes not a collective experience that we, a tragedy that we all shared together. It's a fading memory, increasingly. When I was a kid in the 80s, everybody talked about how everybody knew exactly where they were when they heard that President Kennedy had been assassinated. Increasingly fewer and fewer people remember that day. And those that do increasingly remember it not from an adult's perspective, but from the perspective of a child. Very few are left who remember Pearl Harbor. This summer, sadly, we lost my great uncle. He was the last in our family who remembered, who experienced uh, as a child gathering around the radio looking for any news of Pearl Harbor I remember several years ago the last time I saw him I think um he was telling me how his uncle my great grandma's brother and his family actually lived in Honolulu during Pearl Harbor and they were there and so of course our family you know everybody was gathered around trying to get any news because we had family there and now he's gone the last of us in my family who experienced Pearl Harbor, the day that we'll live in infamy. And it goes back, and when, you know, I, some of you know, I lived in England for a number of years. World War I monuments everywhere, they shall not be forgotten. Yet few remain who knew a World War I veteran. I'm lucky enough to have met some of them in my childhood, But we're we're losing our World War II veterans, let alone our World War I veterans that have gone. What do you do with a memorial, a monument, to something that you never experienced? And what do you do sharing that experience with a new generation that just might not care? We just read from Joshua the people of Israel were told to set up a Memorial to the crossing of the Jordan. This is actually very common in scripture. Noah built an altar. There's personal memorials. And Noah built an altar. He got out of the ark. Everyone was delivered and safe and sound and the animals are all out. And it says that Noah built an altar, a monument. This is the spot where we saw the deliverance of God. Abram, who later became Abraham, built five altars of memorial that we know of. In Genesis 12 and 13, he builds four. He's traveling around. He sees the hand of God. He sees the provision of God. God speaks to him. God does something in his world, and he builds an altar to worship God there, and he leaves it set up as a memorial. This is where God did this work. The fifth altar that he built was on Mount Moriah. That's the one where he, in obedience, prepared to sacrifice his only son until God provided the sacrifice himself, which we know is a picture of Jesus and the work that he did to save us from our sin. Isaac and Jacob, the son and the grandson of Abram, later Abraham, his son and his grandson did the same things. They set up altars and memorials. Jacob, I always think of specifically in Genesis 35, where God spoke to him as he's fleeing for his life, as his whole world is turned upside down, as his future is nothing but uncertainty. God speaks to him and meets him. And there in this place called Bethel, where God met him where he was at, Jacob built an altar of memorial. This is the place. And when anyone returned, why are those stones gathered together? It's because Jacob was met by God there. We need personal memorials, altars in our life. We need stones of remembrance. Now, they may be physical, literal ones, I, in, in, in my house, I have my father's Bible. As some of you might know, my dad passed away when I was in middle school. I have his Bible. I have the notes that he wrote in it. I keep that as a remembrance, a memorial. Not just of my father as a person, but I remember it as an emblem, a symbol of my father's faith. My father's deep faith in Jesus. Jesus. My father was a church kid raised in a Christian home. And yet he would say that he did not really become a Christian until after high school. He believed in God. But faith wasn't real for him until he graduated and went to college. And there he had to make his decision for himself. And I have his Bible. It's a memorial stone. I need that. I need memorials in my own life. Places where I can point to and say, there, God worked. There, God moved. Why do I need that? Because there are times where I forget. There are times where I am uncertain. There are times when I doubt and when I'm in those seasons of uncertainty or of doubt or where I can't see or where the storm and the clouds are raging and the wind is blowing and all seems hopeless, I can remember where God moved, where God worked, where God met me. And it's important, I believe, to establish those in our lives, in our own story, to remind ourselves that God has worked before. You know, we sing the song on Sunday morning, Do It Again. We sang it last Sunday morning, in fact. And, you know, the idea of we've seen God move And we believe that he will do it again. Why? Because we can look and remember the goodness of God. And these memorial stones that we establish in our lives, these memorial stones can become great points of faith and and, and encouragement. And we need them personally. But they aren't just personal. In Exodus chapter 17, Moses builds an altar. That was to be a reminder for the people. This is where God commanded us. And he was told by God, Write all of these things on a scroll. Make sure that Joshua, the next leader, sees this so he knows what he's supposed to do. I have a plan for you, I have a place for you. But here you will put two memorials this altar that will stay firm, this pile of stone on which a sacrifice was made. This will be a geographic, a physical marker, but then also write it down on this scroll that you take with you and you keep with you. Some people, maybe they, they write down a verse, they have it highlighted. I have a Bible, it's in bad shape, but I have this little Bible that I had in my early 20s. And I keep it around because in it was a, a verse and a word God gave me years ago. And that I continue to believe that God is speaking into my life. But I want to have the Bible that I was reading when God spoke those words to me. And so sometimes altars are for us personally, but sometimes they are for the whole community. It was for the whole community that Moses set up that altar. Everyone can see it. It was for the whole community that Moses wrote down the scroll. Now if you're saying, what's an altar? I've realized I've been saying this for a number of minutes now, and maybe you don't know. At its most basic, an altar was a place of worship. It might be uh, built of metal, might be built of wood, it might be built of stone. It was a place where they could perform the rituals necessary for worship. Uh, In the case of the Jewish religion, they would sacrifice bulls and goats, sheep and birds, and the blood would run down the altar. It was the place where the priest might come and wave the grain offering or pour out the offerings of wine or olive oil before the Lord as an act of worship and rejoicing. It was uh, to be made not of uh, smooth carved stone. It was to be a loose pile of rocks if anything. The idea was that God did not want them to go in the ways that the the pagan religions did. He wanted it to be something, a a mound of earth, a pile of uncut stone, something that signified, hey, this is not what we worship. This is just a tool that is helpful in our worship because the kingdom is heavenly, not earthly. But it was to be a reminder. And now we just read as we started, right? Joshua chapter 4. God told the people, take 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel. Take them out from the middle of the Jordan and pile them up where you camp so that when people travel this way, they can look and they can see that monument and they can remember this is the spot where God brought us into the promised land. This is the spot where God miraculously opened the way and made it possible for us to enter. Gideon did the same thing. In Judges chapter 6, he made an altar that was for the community because it was in that moment where Gideon said, we are done worshiping the false gods of the nations around us. We are done rebelling against God. And he built an altar to the Lord and he put it in a public place and he said, here is the start of our return to God. a public memorial. Deuteronomy chapter six says that we need to teach our children the story, that they were to teach the children how God delivered them from their slavery and brought them into the promised land. They were to teach the future generations the law of God, the commands of God, the ways of God. We have personal monuments and memorials. We have community memorials and remembrance places and and points of like, oh, this is where God worked. But we have a responsibility to teach the next generation. If not us, then who? These community memorials are for us to instruct, to train. In fact, last year, we made the decision Angie and I, as parents, that we were going to tell our kids about 9-11. We were going to explain to them what it was. Uh, Together, we watched... um, We just went on YouTube and we turned on... You can go on YouTube and find, uh, you know, basically like CNN or Good Morning America or whatever from from 9-11, 2001, and just see the reporting and they understood what happened. We remember it. We taught them, hey, this is what happened. We taught them, hey, you know, people went to hurt and kill. And a lot of people died, but the community came together. The nation came together. We forgot our differences and we looked out for one another. Oh man, no, I don't want another 9-11, but my goodness, could we use that spirit of the days after 9-11 again in our country? It's important for us to teach. If, If it's not, you know, we might think, oh, the church's job is to teach. The church's job is to make sure that my kids know all the Bible verses. Hey, we can help support, but it's up to the parents, the grandparents, those of us who have come along, and not just our children, but new believers. It's up for, it's up to us to teach and to train and to show them, hey, this is where God in times past worked and moved and met us. And we believe in, and, and have great confidence that he will work and move and meet you we can teach, we can train. These altars, these memorial stones are important for us. They're important for our community, our church family, our neighborhood, our, our world around us to remember. And they are important to pass on and to teach future generations so that they will know the story. In real practical terms, it makes me think of a man I heard of, who got his adult children and his grandchildren together. And and he said, our family, we were brawlers, we were drunkards. My dad was an alcoholic who used his fists. My grandfather was an alcoholic who used his fists. And I was going down the same road until Jesus got a hold of my life. And we aren't those people anymore. I don't know who the first Dalhanic was to break the chain, the cycle of sin and rebellion and pain and suffering. But I know on my mom's side, it was my mom. My mom became a Christian. And generations of abuse and sin and and pain broken. Does that mean that my life was perfect or that my mom was perfect? No, but she began the break. And we can say, hey, from Nita, our family has stood And we have stood in the grace of God. On my wife's side, my wife became a Christian. And it began a process of breaking the cycles of sin and hurt and pain in her family. And now my children can stand. Now they'll have to make their own choices, right? But I've explained to them and I will continue to explain to them that this is what God has done. These are the memorial stones that... At some point, somebody said, that's not who we are anymore. We follow Jesus. They'll have to make their own choice. But they don't have to be the first to break the chain. They have the freedom to walk in a legacy of faith. But they can only know that if we have established these memorial stones in our family and in our lives where we can say this is what God has done and we believe he can and will do again. Now what people do with all that is it's up to them. It's beyond our control. If we tell a future generation what happened on 9-11, if we tell a future generation of the amazing good that happened in the days and hours and weeks after 9-11, if we tell them, we give them what we have. What they do with it is their choice. They can ignore it, certainly. Warning them. You know, in the book of Exodus, it starts out and they said, along came a pharaoh, a king of Egypt, who did not know the history He didn't know Joseph. He didn't know that the people of Israel were in Egypt because God had used Joseph to help save the kingdom of Egypt. And so he comes along not knowing his history, and he doesn't understand the good that God had done through the people of Israel. And instead of saying, hey, God's done good through them, and I believe he could continue to, he enslaves them. Maybe you've been given a history, a legacy, a memorial stone And you say, oh, that's my mom's faith. That's my grandfather's faith. That's my spouse's faith. It's my kid's faith. And you've done nothing with it. Do so at your own peril. Of course, another danger happens in churches is the same thing that happened in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, the people rebelled against God. And as a consequence, there was a great sickness that came. And they were told, uh, the priests actually set up this kind of memorial. And it was a a pole with a bronze serpent going around the pole. It's actually where, if you've ever seen this like medical symbol with a snake going around a pole and you say, where'd that come from? It actually comes from the Bible. And they were told, if you in faith, look at that, God will heal you. And those that did in faith, look at that bronze serpent going around the pole, they were healed. Well, they kept it. And hundreds of years later, instead of being a good thing, that memorial stone became a bad thing and they were worshiping it like an idol. And one of the prophets had to come and break it in half and say, this is just a piece of metal. It's a hunk of of metal. It does nothing. Memorial stones, you can ignore them at your own risk. You can also idolize them at your own risk. And people will say, ah, what God did, what God did, what God did, as if God is not doing something today. I don't want to forget. I don't want to idolize. But I want to remember and I want to establish these memorials in my heart. In the case of 9-11, I want to remember what happened afterwards and live in that spirit. In the case of God working, moving previously, I want to stand firm in faith and not doubt in the times of storm or trial or uncertainty. I don't want to forget I don't want to idolize, but I want to stand firm on these memorial stones that God has placed in our personal lives, in our community, and in our nation to know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's something I want to tell you that's totally true. Jesus was working during 9-11. Why did 9-11 happen? It happened because people are sinful. But the grace of God was present and moving and active during those days. And he is still present and moving and active today for all who would believe and who would call on him in faith. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We might say, oh, there were evil people who attacked on 9-11. But there were also us who needed Jesus too. We're no different. We all have sinned. We all need forgiveness. We all need mercy. We all need salvation. And Jesus provides that. Jesus was working and moving on that day 21 years ago. He's working and he's moving today. If you call out to him and believe in faith, he will meet you where you are at. And this day and in this time, you can establish a new memorial stone of the work of God in your life. God bless you. May the peace of God reign in your heart. May the mercy of God be present and obvious in your world this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.